Welcome to season four of The Culture of Kindness. My name is Nahala Summers and I am your host. A culture of kindness is based on the idea that by bringing kindness into leadership, we reduce stress, anxiety, make happier workplaces, and in turn, improve the bottom line for any organization or institution. It is a book, leadership program, accreditation, and of course, this wonderful podcast. Kindness has been my life's work since I founded the social movement for kindness back in 2012 called Sunshine People. And it has kept me interested on what people have to say on the complexities of kindness ever since. The guest lineup is exceptional. From politicians to social media influencers, best-selling authors to BBC presenters, an eclectic mix of people who all have completely different views on kindness, how we get it and where the world is currently at. If you enjoy this episode, then please do show your support for kindness by subscribing to the podcast, leave a five-star review or simply invest in the book, aptly named A Culture of Kindness, available on Amazon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy. The halls of um, of politics, mm. you know, you walk those halls. Um, I'm always interested, and I, and I talk about this a lot in the fact that, you know, we, our, our children grow up in this, uh, and, and I did, you know, my first words were order, order, as I banged <laughs> on my table, um, uh, my food table, my, to my mum's horror, you know, it was playing on the radio every day, and it was just the first Fantastic. one I came out with, um, which says a lot about the way I turned <laughs> out, I think. But uh, so, you know, we, we have this way that we grow up with, oh, this is how we resolve things. Mm. We shout each other down. I say my thing, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. And then the next person stands up, says, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. And that's what we understand to be a way to resolve issues. Yeah. Um, does that, you know, is that the way that the the very heart of uh, of our government is, or is that just something that we see on television that's a show um, and and something that isn't how it is? Yeah. So I see this from two sides, I guess. So I've seen it from when I was an official, a civil servant, and I've seen it now trying, you know, trying to get into politics. So no, in government itself, in the heart of government, there are incredibly... Um, sophisticated, nuanced conversations going on about every policy decision, um, very honest conversations about who will benefit most, who won't from this decision, um, how would it be delivered, how will it be rolled out. And actually, that's why probably people like me don't make the best politicians, because there's never a, a just a clear cut right or wrong way. There's never a black and white answer. There will always be trade-offs to everything. And every policy decision, major policy decision, is quite an anguished one, because you have to make those difficult decisions. What we've seen, unfortunately, and it's definitely got worse over the last, I would say, four or five years, is an, uh, an intolerance of those complexities. So, 
the politics. And, and I, I firmly believe that what happens in America comes over here quite soon afterwards. And it's like this Trumpian kind of view of the world that this is the way it has to be. And it goes back to that tribal thing. You're, you're in my camp, so you have to agree with absolutely everything I say. Yeah. And I mean, it just has become ridiculous. Like you see, if you voted for Brexit, you know, in this country, then you're more likely not to want to be vaccinated. You're more likely now to say you don't want a mask. You're more likely now to say we shouldn't have any lockdown. You know, all these things somehow now become part of this tribe that you're in and you can't break away because you're somehow seen as being a traitor to that tribe. Um, And we absolutely have to change this because this is where um, you cannot have proper policy conversation I think the epitome of this for me I don't know if you saw it recently it was a couple of weeks ago and there was a conversation about mental health and COVID and how we needed the government to be looking at could they provide more support for mental health um, because this was a big issue that was increasing during kind of lockdown and um, Nadine Doris was asked this question in the house and she basically turned around and said um, I don't have to work with you. We won the election. Uh, so that's the joy of winning the election. I'm the I'm the minister. You're not to the Labour MP who had asked the question. And it was just, I, it was one of those mouth open moments where you think this is an issue that so obviously needs cross party, you know, collaboration. That the Labour MP was asking how they could help and collaborate on an issue as serious as mental health. And Nadine Doris was still choosing to make it a party political issue and lord over the fact that they'd won the general election and the opposition hadn't. And I thought that's just the kind of, that's as low as it gets really in terms of showing how our very tribal politics lets us down as a country. Um, where it, you know, where you can, and you can get great MPs together. And I've worked, as I said, on the commission on youth violence, that was cross-party. There are some brilliant MPs working in a cross-party way. Um, but too often, I think, under this leadership, we are seeing that very divisive, absolutely no room for any kind of nuance or grey areas at all. And that's not good for any of us. And it, and it's rubbing off. I mean, you know, it's rubbing off on the relationship between ministers and the civil service as well. And that's a whole other area. You know, we've had recently the report into Priti Patel and the bullying culture in the Home Office. And, you know, this is a moment in time. We, we've got the huge challenges of the pandemic. We're facing the huge challenge of Brexit coming up. More than ever, you need the machinery of government, which is ministers and the civil servants, to be working effectively together with mutual respect. You know, they both have their roles to play in in making that machine work. And that's being undermined by a language from a, a government that I've never heard before in terms of undermining their civil servants and and apparently from this report also bullying their civil servants. And that's really dangerous because that will ultimately mean that you don't get the public services that we need in the country. That's right. I haven't I haven't read anything about the bullying. Do you think that the bullying comes from a stress and pressure um, for her that she has then imparted onto others in a in a bullying uh, way? 
I mean, that's the defence, isn't it? I think the, the defence was that um, there were times when she didn't feel supported by the department, where she didn't get the responses quickly enough that she wanted. Um, you know, my answer to that is no organisation is perfect and every organisation needs to improve. There are ways that you do that with your um, workforce that do not involve bullying from the top. And, you know, when I was in the civil service, I worked with some amazing leaders who led through the most stressful times. You know, they led through foot and mouth. They led through conflict. They led through wars, you know, literal kind of conflict periods. And they didn't bully staff around them. And they were under huge pressure, massively stressful positions, huge responsibility. Um, You know, prime minister's have not bullied, you know, and they've been carrying the weight of the country on their shoulder. So I never feel that that's a good excuse. There is no excuse. There is no excuse no. for bullying. Um, you know, if if somebody is under that much pressure that they don't feel like they can do the job without resorting to that kind of behaviour, then they need to get help themselves. Yes. You know, then, then they need some development themselves, I think. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sad situation that that really um has come about and kind of come out in the way that it has and especially you know I I really don't like I don't like the word bullying because I think we need to focus on um kindness and when Mm. we focus on kindness and having a conversation on kindness we don't have to talk about Mm. bullying anymore Mm. right so you know, it's the fact that we've had to resort to, you know, uh, mm. I don't know, accusing, I, I don't know whether it's been proven, but uh, that she's been bullying um, rather than, wow, look at this person and how yeah. kind they are. You know, yeah, look, at, look at the way that we're bringing a level of kindness, empathy connection yeah. into our political system. Yeah. we It, it feels like we've sunk to the lowest when we start yeah. saying that somebody's bullying within our political system yeah, because totally. that's it isn't it yeah when we've 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 turned the tables as far as yeah. they can go there's nowhere we there's nowhere lower that we can go uh, yeah. from there I think and I completely uh, agree and it's really interesting because when you think uh, there's there's this misconception I think that civil servants are either you know, that they, they kind of go native to whichever administration they're working for. And I think every new government that comes in worries that the civil servants are going to challenge them and block them. And and actually, my, my experience of civil servants is they just want to do a good job. You know, they are there to do a good job and they will help um, whichever ministers have been elected. And the best times that I had in the civil service were when people genuinely were motivated to work for either their managers in the civil service or the minister that they were working directly for because there was that culture and atmosphere of progress together and mutual respect and clear understanding of what they were trying to achieve and all of that makes for even if you were going through stressful times even if you were delivering a really difficult policy even if you didn't believe in that policy If there was that culture of mutual respect and you knew that you were working hard, but you were getting recognition for that work, that was definitely the best place to be working and the best environment to be working in. And you're absolutely right. It didn't bullying then just doesn't come into it because it's 
it's you know people are motivated and enjoying going into work so and, and there lies something about values you know I, for a civil servant to be working on something if we are living by the values to walk for the people we're making yeah. things more equal we are supporting those who need our help. We are showing yeah. empathy and therefore we're understanding how everybody feels about a particular yeah. situation and trying to account for that when we make decisions. When we're doing that, civil servants will look at that policy and go, I understand it, yeah. I get it, I really yeah. wanna push this through the line. Yeah. But when you've got politicians going standing on the front line and saying we're not going to make a change on this but actually delivering a policy and asking people to go against what they're standing up and saying it's it's cruel actually in many ways for the individuals um and it's cruel on society and the public because we are not being supported which adds to the mental health issues that people have yeah. got because they feel constantly that they're being beaten up that they're not that they're being lied to they don't they worry about their jobs they worry yeah. about their homes they worry about enough money coming in because they don't feel that the politicians are being yeah. truthful and backing them up yeah you know when we start to look at the foundations and the heart of things right i that's just how it feels to me i don't totally. know no, I completely agree with that. It's really so. I look at moments of kindness that have taken off in the country. So you look at like Captain Tom and his walk, and you look at Marcus Rashford and you know the brilliant campaign that he had, free school meals, and now the book club for children. Um, but even during at the start of COVID, there were all those mutual aid groups that sprung up and all the neighbourhood groups and everything. And to me, that just shows that actually the vast majority of people are inherently kind. They're inherently, you know, compassionate and they want to help the communities, the people around them. Politics should facilitate that. Politics should bring out that inherent kindness in all of us. And how powerful would that be if that's what politics strove to achieve? And actually, what you've just described is the politics that does the very opposite of that. What are politics at the moment, the narrative, the language, the division? It's all telling people, actually, don't worry about your neighbours because, you know, they're trying to get things off you. You know, those foreigners over there, they're trying to make your lives worse. Those refugees, they're going to come and they're going to make this country worse. And don't trust that organisation. They're elitist. They don't have your, don't trust any of those people. And it all becomes then about individuals and about selfishness and about fear of other fear of all those other people and our politics populist politics at the moment is exploiting that fear and playing on that whereas oh my god how wonderful could it be if it did the opposite if it actually facilitated that other vision of the world in which we are all helping each other and we are all actually at heart social compassionate human beings who want to see everybody thrive because when everybody thrives, we all thrive. And that's the kind of politics that I yearn for. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it would be very, I actually think it would be quite simple 
to achieve that because we've seen how simple it can be. When somebody catches the public mood, that kindness just flows out. We see it every year. We see it with children in need. We see it with Red Nose Day. We see it every year. And it just needs the facilitation and an infrastructure for it to come out. And for some reason, our politics goes down the opposite route and it doesn't do that. Um, and you're you're absolutely right. There's something about the the language, the the processes, everything just works against that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I I do talks about kindness, cultural kindness, sunshine people, about how we bring it into workplaces, etc. And and every time I do them, I I don't talk about politics within mm. them. Actually, I it's nothing to do with politics it's to do with uh the journey of my challenges and all of those sorts of fun things but I always get asked at the end will you consider going into politics Mm. people are crying out for a change within our political system the people want something different yeah the problem is is it seems almost impossible to give the people a chance to vote for that. Is that right? Is there a way that we change yeah. that and embed it into our institutions or what's going on? It, yeah, it's really, I get asked often, you know, why, why don't you start a new party? Like we, we'd come and support you, like we, we'd be behind you. And I think you're absolutely right. And that goes back to my how much people resonated with kindness on the doorstep. People want something different. They want better, as we were saying. They can see a different vision for politics in the country. Unfortunately, our system, the the first-past-the-post system, makes it so difficult for a new party to cut through. And the, the, the big win is electoral reform. If you could, if you could persuade, if somebody could persuade, and we might be nearly there because they're so far behind at the moment, if somebody could persuade Labour, the Labour Party, to back electoral reform, then there is a chance that that could come in. Until then, a new party, it's kind of a, it's a David and Goliath. It's such an uphill struggle. I mean, it's not impossible. You saw in France, you know, Macron managed to come from almost nowhere with a new party although he had political background but but again they have a presidential system so it was different because you're kind of just voting for him in the first instance and then the party on marsh took root here it's so hard to do and that's part of the problem that our big established parties and and in particular the conservatives at the moment with a majority that big they know they can bulldoze through things that aren't true they can break the law as they're doing now with the withdrawal agreement as they're doing breaking their own commitment on foreign aid budgets despite saying that they wouldn't because there's no consequence in our system they have an 80 majority and that there's no consequence for them so I would love there to be a new party because I don't see any you know I used to be Labour I flirted with the Lib Dems because of Brexit I want a party that's truly progressive that is unapologetic apologetic in saying it wants to tackle inequality it wants to tackle racism it wants to embrace refugees and immigration it wants to be fair and big-hearted and you know and um, kind of outward looking to the rest of the world there is no party that is speaking to me at the moment and I know there are lots of people that feel the same way yeah but until our system changes it's really hard. It's really hard. There are these different roles, you know, like the mayoral roles 
I still believe they should be independent, you know, because they are roles that I think lend themselves to having people who are non-party because you're supposed to be representing a city, not a party, or a region, not a party. And I would like to see more strong independence coming forward to change our politics. Because we've seen how important the mayors have been in the COVID crisis, you know, and, and kind of how influential they can be. But yeah, that's, the, that's probably the biggest challenge, is how do we change our system itself so that a new party could have um, a significant impact? And at the moment, we're not... We're not close to that, unfortunately. No. Is it a need for money? Is it a need for... What, what is it that need, is needed um, to happen for that, for another party? Change. Yeah. You'd have to... So, you know, it would be like Turkey's voting for Christmas at the moment. There was no way you would get a Conservative government to put the legislation through Parliament to essentially make it harder for themselves to get... Um, uh, the balance of power. The reason why I say we might be closer with Labour is because they now have, you know, they've they've got to kind of claw their way back to this, you know, because they, they've got Tories have got the eighty seat majority. That's a big task for Labour, and actually, so for the first time, I think they might be seeing the benefits of electoral reform themselves. Yeah. Um, because it's quite difficult for them. And in a lot of seats where they are not going to win, the Liberal Democrats are actually facing the Tories as the key challenger. So it's quite difficult for Labour to see how they're going to get back, which, and again, this is a problem for me, because I think that's meaning, that's forcing Keir Starmer to say things that I don't think the Labour Party should be saying in terms of, you know, trying to keep the kind of Northern vote if it's a kind of pro-Brexit vote. That's not where I think the Labour Party should be. But he's having to play this really, really tactical, strategic game. I've had enough of that. Like, look at the state our country's in. I just want an authentic politician to lead an authentic party. Yeah. so, and again, that comes down to, because he's trying to look at the numbers, he's having to look at the numbers game and saying, well, if I need to win back all these seats, I need to be very careful about what I say. It's interesting, though, because one of the things that I did like was that we weren't going to end up in an argument. You know, mm. he said, I'm supporting the prime minister, mm. doing, we need to move forward. And mm. whatever that was, whether it was tactical or whatever, mm. I thought, Actually, at least we're not wasting time having an argument yeah. about yeah. something. You know, I, we might agree or disagree with what, what's going on, but I think shouting at each other and shouting yeah. down and, and just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll distract you over here with this argument yeah. while all this is going on. In the, and, and as you've highlighted, you know, that's going on a lot, yeah. going a lot of lies. You know, he's leaving it open for that to happen. And there's something about that that, uh, I have. Yeah, he's definitely definitely trying to be um, supportive where it's helpful to be supportive. Yeah. um, And not oppose for the sake of opposing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's his way of saying there is a nicer way of doing politics. There's a kinder, more collaborative way of doing politics. And and he's absolutely right on that. You don't want somebody to just be disagreeing. And I, and I would like to see more politicians. When I ran in 2012 in my manifesto, the 
each policy area, at the back of each policy area, I said, I also agree with Ken Livingston's policy on this, with Boris Johnson's policy on this. And so yeah. why would I make up a new one? You know, if, if we're in agreement on something, let's not pretend we're not kind of thing. So, and I would like to see a lot more of that because actually <laughs> politics, you know, parties are probably in agreement on about 80% of policies. Um, and yet you wouldn't know it at all. And actually it's in the margins that they disagree on a lot of things. That's, not quite the same now because our parties have, have moved further to the left and right than they had in years. But on a lot of the core issues, there's a lot of agreement across the House. Okay. So it's nice to see Keir Starmer doing that, but it's not so nice to see him taking baby steps where I think big leaps need to be taken and he needs to show some values, I think. And there's also this interesting thing because, I, I, you know, on social media, I get quite, um, I know, sassy sometimes, I think. And people go to me, well, that's not that. that I mean. love that. <laughs> Maybe that's not so kind. And I'm like, you, you can call people out if they're being ridiculous or they're lying. It's not unkind to have a comeback. It's not unkind to, to call them out. I'll never get personal. I will never get personal. I'll never comment on people's, you know, appearance or anything, things that I really detest on. But actually... Just because you want a kind of type of politics doesn't mean you roll over and let people say anything that they want to say and you don't kind of fight back. No. Um, and that, that, again, I think is a myth that you have to be this soft and fluffy person if you want to become... Absolutely. I can I'm tell you that as I bang order, order. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think you and me should start a new party. Let's do this. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll back you and I will absolutely, I will work <laughs> straight back you. at you. Let's yeah. do this. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I could literally talk to you all day, <laughs> and I know that the listeners, this is going to be a two-parter. It's just oh. been incredible to talk to you. You've given me a whole load of hope that uh, we can make a difference. There's going to be people signing up to you to say, yes, oh. I'll come and work for you. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Uh, well, maybe we could start a movement, if not a new party, some kind of movement to improve politics or something. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I will end on the final question, although I could ask a thousand more. What do you see uh, a culture of kindness being to you and our country? So a culture of kindness for me would be when we don't accept day-to-day -day inequalities as inevitable, when we don't just walk on by, when we don't see a rough sleeper and think, why, what's led that person to be there and how can we change that? So I think that's, that to me, if we had a society where we don't accept inequality, whether it's race inequality, whether it's um, you know, LGBT, whether it's class, anything, where we do not accept it as inevitable or the norm, that's when we'll be in a kinder culture. And to do that, I think, where we measure then success through people's well-being rather than through people's wealth. Um, that's that's when we've achieved a proper kinder society. Amazing. Just what an ending. Wow. 
I'm completely humbled to speak oh. to you today. Thank you so much for your time. It means the world. And I know that people are going to go away more incited uh, and kinder because of this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nala. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with others. Pop on and give a lovely review, but mostly take forwards into your life something that can change someone else's. We are looking for the elusive happiness and kindness is the action that can get us there.